Welcome. This sermon podcast is a production of Refresh Community Church, where Dr. Carlos Smith is our lead pastor. Our vision is to see our hearts refreshed by Christ's presence, our relationships renewed for Christ's purpose, our lives rebuilt by Christ's power, and our communities restored by Christ's people. We pray that you are blessed by today's message, and we look forward to seeing you in person soon. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Isn't it a good day to be in the house of the Lord? It's a phenomenal day. Phenomenal day to be in the house of the Lord. First of all, I would like to give honor, what honors do, to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who the scripture says is the faithful witness who loved us and washed us from our own sins with his own blood and who has made us kings and priests to him be glory and honor, dominion and power both now and forever. I give him all the glory and all the praise. I am nothing more but a voice. It is he that is the word. I am nothing more than a delivery man. It is he that is the male. I am nothing more but a broken pen in his hands. It is he that writes upon the hearts of men and women and I give him all the glory and all the praise. And giving honor to my pastor, Dr. Carlos Smith, we are so blessed to have such a great leader and pastor teacher that communicates the word of God faithfully. And we are also so blessed, I'm so blessed to be in this church, to be a member and a part of the Refresh Community Church. We are so blessed with the staffs and the elders, and it's so blessed to sit and just be fed the word of God by all these magnificent people who are gifted by the, the, by the um, Lord. But there is a word, there is a word that God has for us today. Um, We are going to continue our studies of Luke. And um, the word that we have today is coming from Luke chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. Luke chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. It is only three verses. And if you have it, could you please stand for the hearing and the reading of God's word? And it says, and he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. May the Lord have a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. With the help of the Holy Spirit, I would like to preach this word, what will you do with Jesus? What will you do with Jesus? Let us pray. Father, I pray, Lord, that you may use me in a mighty way to preach your holy word. The hour has come, Father. I pray that you may bless your son, Father, that your son may minister to the people of God, Father, that they may see, dearly, Father, the great invitation to come to Jesus Christ, Father. Father, I'm nothing more but a broken pen in your hand. It is you who writes upon the hearts of men and women. Father, I pray that the God, the Holy Spirit, may minister to these people today, Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. What will you do with Jesus? In 1987, a Christian artist wrote a song entitled, 
What will you do with Jesus? The lyrics of the song goes like this. What will you do with Jesus? He who redeemed your soul. What will you do with Jesus? He who can make you whole. He who can make you whole. Sovereign of all the ages. Savior of Calvary. What will you do with Jesus? He longs to set you free. What will you do with Jesus? This is a question that only you can answer. It is the title of my sermon because I believe that God is individually asking each one of you, whether you've been in the church, left the church, and came back to the church, or you back in the church, or outside the church, what will you do with Jesus? The question is fundamentally the most important question of your life. The quality of your life depends on how you answer this question. Where you spend eternity at depends on how you answer this question. What you prioritize in life depends on how you answer this question. I'm here to ask you, what will you do with Jesus? I don't care how rich you are. What will you do with Jesus? I don't care how many friends you may have. God wants to know what will you do with Jesus. I don't care how many followers on Instagram that you may have. God is only concerned to know what will you do with Jesus. God doesn't care about your academic credentials or if you're cute or you think you all that in a bag of chips. But God wants to know what will you do with Jesus? We have been in the Gospel of Luke, and in Luke chapter 6, just to give a quick summary, we see that Jesus is in a synagogue, and he is there teaching. And after commanding and telling them that he is the Lord of the Sabbath, which means that the Sabbath doesn't rule him, but he rules the Sabbath, there's a man there that had a shriveled, shriveled hand. And the Bible says that Jesus, he had haters. Uh, the Pharisees were there, and they were waiting to see what Jesus was going to do with this Man that was sick, this man that was healed, and Jesus, because he said after announcing that he's the Lord of the Sabbath, knowing their thoughts, he said, which is good to do? Is it good to do on the Sabbath evil, or is it good to do um, good? And the Pharisees looked at him, and they were angry, and Jesus said, so that you may know that the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus looks upon the man, and he says, I said, stretch out your hand. And, and immediately the man stretched out his hand and was made whole. And the scripture says, just like the, the scripture says that the Pharisees were furious at Jesus. They were upset with Jesus. And that's just like religious folks. And religious folks, they are all caught up in traditions and cultures. Instead of being excited about releasing someone's burden, they were furious because Jesus didn't follow their traditions. But you see, even the Pharisees had to ask themselves this question, what shall we do? With Jesus, Because if you look in Luke chapter 6, verse 11, it says, But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do 
with Jesus. And then you move in Luke chapter 6, verses 12 through 16. Jesus goes into a mountainside, and the Bible says that he's, he goes there to pray. Now, Jesus doesn't spend five minutes there to pray. He doesn't spend ten minutes there to pray. The Scripture says he spends all night in prayer with God. And there's a little nugget there because I think that some of us need to understand that in order to preach like Jesus, have the power like Jesus, you're going to have to be able to pray like Jesus. Jesus spent all night in prayer, dwelling with God, speaking with God. And the Bible says the next morning he woke up and he began to call his disciples. He called his 12 disciples. He called Simon. And the Bible says that he also called Judas Iscariot, which is the one that was going to betray him. And then in the scriptures, it says in Luke chapter 6, verse 17, which is our text, it says, and he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of multitudes. And there was great multitudes of people that came from Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came. And this is my first point of my sermon. Point one, if you are taking notes with what will you do with Jesus, the first point that I have is will you come to him? Will you come to him? That is something that you can only answer. Nobody can answer that question for you. Will you come to him? And as I was reading this scripture and I was studying this scripture, God, the Holy Spirit ministered to me. And he said, listen, I just want you to stay there in this first two words in he. Just marinate on he. Just be mesmerized by he. And you see, the reason that some people don't come to Jesus is because they don't know who he is. They are not willing to come to Jesus because they don't know who he is. And as I was preparing this, preparing this scripture, God, the Holy Spirit just said, I want you to I want you to marinate on who he is. You see, Jesus, who is Jesus? He is not just a great moral teacher. He is not your, he is not your bro. He is not your homeboy. He is more than that. He is God that sits on the throne. He is God. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, if you have some time, I would like to give a small biographical sketch of who this Jesus is. You see, in Genesis 1, the Bible says in the beginning, God created out of nothing the heavens and the earth. You see, God created before there, when there was nothing, not even darkness, because darkness would be something. The Bible says there you have the Holy Trinity. God said, let there be, and there was, and he birthed and brought everything into existence, into, into sight. That was Jesus, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That was the Holy Trinity creating the world. But not only that, Jesus, when God was molding man and, and creating man, the Bible says that God said, let us make man in our, in our image. And the us that he was talking about is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And God molded clay and shaped the clay and formed clay. And then he saw that clay did not have life. And the Bible says in the Hebrew that God breathed unto him the nishamah, the spark of life, and man became a living soul. That was Jesus. If you still don't know who he is, if you look, when Adam and Eve fell from the garden and eaten the forbidden tree, guess what the scripture says? The scripture says that the Lord God walked in the garden, the Lord God. And guess who that was that was walking in the garden when Adam and Eve fell, promising that this is not the end. But in Genesis 3:15, I will bring a seed that will come in the world that will destroy the, the works of the serpent. Guess who that was? 
That was Jesus. And you understand, I'm just like to give a biographical sketch of who he is. If you look in the book of Exodus, when God was sending Moses, the Bible says that Moses saw a tree burning but was not consumed. And when, when God says, listen, I know you're calling me to go to Israel and let your people go, but what shall I tell them who sent me? And the Bible says that God says, you shall say that I am has sent thee. In other words, he says, listen, I don't have a beginning. I don't have an end. And if I give you a name, it means that I have a beginning, but I don't have a beginning. I don't have an ending. I'm just I am. I will be what I will be. You will tell them that I am has sent you. And the scripture says that in the gospel that Jesus said and told the Pharisees that before Abraham was, I am. He is. Do you know who Jesus is? He is the fourth man. Though You remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they refused to bow down to an image of Nebuchadnezzar. And the scripture says that Nebuchadnezzar got furious and he threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in a fiery furnace. And the Bible says that Nebuchadnezzar looked startled and amazed because he said, didn't I not throw three in there? And he said, but I see a fourth person in there. And the fourth looked like the son of God. And guess who that was? That was Jesus. Jesus, the scripture says in Colossians that he is before all things and all things consist because of him. Jesus, the one that holds the world by the palm of his hand. Jesus, the one who holds everything together by the word of his power. Jesus, the one, the way, the truth on God. Do you know who he is? Jesus said that I am the bread of life. He is the one. He says, I am the bread of life. He says, whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never go thirsty. In other words, if you're trying to find fulfillment and satisfa- satisfaction in other things, and there's nothing that satisfies you in this world, it's because just like a car was supposed to run on gas, you were supposed to run on Jesus. And if you just come to him and feast from him, then he will make you whole. The Bible says that he says that I am the resurrection of life, which means that you come to Jesus and believe him. And Jesus says that though you die, yet shall you live. I know it looks like there's a tomb. I know it looks like you're dead. But Jesus says, I, if you come to me, I have the power to raise your life up back again. Jesus, do you, do you know him? And a lot of people don't want to come to him because they don't understand who he is. Do you understand who he is? Jesus says, Uh, The constant is our constant, which means that, listen, child of God, that you can change, you can mess up, you can screw up, you can destroy your life. But Jesus is the one thing constant because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That means that if you mess up, guess what? Jesus' love didn't change for you. That means if you drop the ball, that means that Jesus, you can come back to Jesus, and he's still faithful. He's still loving. He's still kind because he's the one thing. That remains constant. But Jesus is also, though, as he said to Mary and Martha, I'm the one thing that is needed. In other words, he says, listen, when Mary and Martha was, when Mary and Martha was upset with Mary because Mary was sitting at the teaching of Jesus, Jesus said, listen, Mary chose the one thing that is needed. That means that you in this world, you don't need a new car. You don't need more relationship. You don't need more friends. The one thing that you need, you can have Jesus and have everything together. He is. He is. Jesus. He is the apple of my eye, the beat of my heart, the wind beneath my wings. Jesus. That's who he is. He is my sunshine on a cloudy day. When it's cold outside, I got the month of May. I guess you can say, 
What will make me feel this way? It's Jesus, our God, our Lord, and our Savior. Now, the Bible says that he, now that you, I gave a small biographical sketch of who he is. The text says he came down with them. Think about this. It says that he came down, and that's mesmerizing itself, that he came down from the mountain, and he was with them. You see, in the Bible, in Exodus chapter 19, verse 10, it says that when God was dwelling with Moses and giving Moses the law, the Ten Commandments, the Bible says, listen, Exodus 19, 10, listen, God says, listen, I'm coming down to the mountain on the third day. I want you to surround the mountain and tell the people, do not let a beast touch this mountain because my holiness is about to dwell upon this mountain. Notice he says, don't let anyone touch the mountain. He says, so anyone touch the mountain, they should be put to death. And the Bible says that he dwelled upon Mount Sinai and Moses said he was exceedingly fearful and he quaked. And the people said, listen, Moses, don't let God speak to us. You speak to us, but don't let God speak to us. And the people was afraid of the terror and the majesty and the holiness and the power of God because they knew that they were sinners. And you know, child of God, what happened is that Israel, all the other nations had their idols, but all the Israel had was the laws and the word of God. And it got them in trouble because they wanted somebody that they could touch. They wanted someone that they could see with their eyes. They understood what God, that God was love, but they didn't understand how that looked like. They wanted someone to show them what love looked like. And you know what God did because we couldn't meet him where he was? God met us where we are. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God handed over and delivered the only one of his kind, his very best. The Bible says that unto us a child is born, a son is given, which means the son eternally existed, but the son took on flesh. He was born because the Bible says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him and without him was nothing made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of man. The light shineth in the darkness and the darkness comprehended it not. And you go on further it says in the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld the glory of the only begotten son full of grace and truth for the law was given by Moses but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ and here we are. We have the son of God coming down dwelling with sinners that should give us hope that uh, the God that in the Old Testament could be not be touched now the son the uniquely born son of God is allowing others to touch him and this gives me hope child of God because it makes me realize that no matter how where I'm at in life God is always there ready to extend an invitation to come to him he came down through 42 gen. He came down to dwell with sinners. And the text says he came down with them. Look at this. Uh, the God that made the heavens and the earth and fashioned it, he's now down with them, with them, with us. The Bible says he is called Emmanuel, which means God with us. He is with us. He's with 
these disciples, you know, the disciples were a little bit rough around the edges. You had Simon Peter, you had Judas Iscariot, but here you see the God-man dwelling with them. Jesus is the son of God. He is different from God in that he's man, but he's different from God in that he's man, that he's, he's God. He is the uniquely born son of God. And even Job understood this mystery because he said, like, how can I come to God when his holiness scares me? He says, what I need is a mediator, one that can mediate between me and God. And God, because he loved us so much, he sent his only son to dwell with us. He dwells with us. He's not only that, but he is our savior, the one that, that provides us escape. There's not many ways. There's only one way to God, and he is the only way to God, and Jesus is our savior. The Bible says, so he came with them, and the Bible says that there were so many people from Jerusalem, from Judea, from Tyre, from city. They all come into him, and you look at the text, it says, that he stood on a level place with a great crowd of the disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast. Here he are giving, here he is giving the invitation. Throughout the Bible, God is constantly giving us an invitation to come to him. He's given us this invitation because you see in the scripture, Matthew says, come to me, all thou weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take upon my yoke and learn of me. I'm lowly and meek, and thou shalt find rest for your souls because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God is always giving us an invitation to come to him. In Isaiah chapter 118, it says, come now, let us reason together. In other words, come sinners, come those who slip up, come let us reason together. Let us talk this thing out. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Jesus has always given us this invitation. He tells, he even give, they gave the invitation to religious rulers. He says, search the scriptures, for in them you think that you have eternal life. But they are they which testify of me, and you will not come to me that you might have life. Child of God, are you coming to Jesus Christ so that you might have life? In fact, the last scripture in the Bible in Revelation chapter 22, 7, it's a final invitation. And the spirit and the bride says, come. And he that heareth, come. And let him that is thirst come. And whoever will, let him come and drink freely the waters of life. God has given you an invitation. Do not refuse it. We accept the invitation to come to him. 2,000 years ago, the God man dwelt upon the earth. Will you come to him? Giving you the invitation to come to him. My second point is, will you come to hear him? The text says, who came to hear him and to be healed of the disease. Think about this. The God, man, dwelt upon earth 2,000 years ago. And all these people are coming to hear him. The people left their homes to hear the word of God. The people changed their plans to hear the word of God. The people gave Jesus their time to hear the word of God. The people changed their priorities to hear the word of God. Today we have his words in written form. Child of God, what are you doing to hear the word of God? Do you cherish the word of God? It is important for you 
to hear the word of God. What can be more important in your life, in your time, than what God says? The Bible says that God, Jesus is God's final revelation. The Bible in Hebrews chapter 11, 1 says that God, who is sundry times in divers manners, spake in time past through the fathers, through the prophets, having these last days spoken to us through his son. You see, Jesus, when he says that I am the Alpha and Omega, that's the beginning of the Greek alphabet, and the Omega is the last word in the Greek alphabet. In other words, he says, listen, the way that Jesus, God speaks now, he speaks Jesus. The way that God loves, he loves Jesus. You want to know how God is? Look at Jesus. In fact, the whole Bible is about Jesus. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 7, 15, that after the transfigurations and Peter got caught up and was saying crazy things, God says, listen, this is my beloved son. Hear him. Hear him. The word of God is something that you need to hear. Are you prioritizing God's word? Jesus in the Bible is the main thing. Jesus is the main character. Jesus is the main subject. Jesus is the main point. Jesus is the main example. Jesus is the main word. The whole Bible is set to bring you to Jesus. In fact, is it in, will you come to hear God's word? In fact, if you look at the scripture, if you think about what is the greatest commandment, people will say the greatest commandment is to love your Lord, the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your might, and that is true. But they miss this one part. The greatest commandment is, starts with hear, O Israel. Hear, O Israel. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. The Bible and God's word is the word of God, the voice of the Holy Spirit. It is the mind of Christ. When I was growing up, I had a mentor at 15. He encouraged me and always would say this, Charlton, your attitudes towards God, God's word is your attitudes towards God. No matter how you put it, the Bible says in the beginning was the word and the word with God. If you don't cherish God's word, you don't cherish God. If you say that you love him and only spend time with him on Sunday, you don't love him. Your attitude towards this book, towards God's book, is your attitude towards God. The Bible said in Isaiah 40, 18, the grass withers and the flowers fade away, but the word of our God shall endure forever. Matthew chapter 4, verses 4 says that men shall not live but by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded from the mouth of the Father. You see, my, ch my brothers and sisters, a lot of us, some people in the church are suffering from spiritual anorexia. Uh, they only eat. They only meditate. They only receive the word of God on Sunday. But they don't study his word and be fed by him Monday through Saturday. And because of that, when trials and temptation comes, they suffer. Because of that, they have 
no faith is because they are not strong and fit because they have not listened and heard the word of God. But then there's some people in the church that are struggling from spiritual obesity. Some people are eating spiritual junk foods. They are hearing teachers. They are not teaching sound doctrine and sound theology. But some Christians, they have spiritual obesity because all they want to do is eat and eat the word of God. They have their notebooks filled, and that's good. But the Bible says, be ye not hearers of the word, but be ye doers of the word. And if you want to be fit, you got to be able to apply what God says. But oh, I love the meat eaters of the word. They have moved and graduated from the milk of the word, and now they eat meat, and now they study the word of God. But they don't only study, but they apply everything, what they learn, and they are fit, they are strong to endure the trials and the tribulations of life because they have prioritized the word of God. Do you prioritize the word of God? Do you meditate on the word of God? Is the word of God important to you? The Bible says, let the word of Christ dwell richly in you, which means that your whole soul, your whole mind should be saturated with God's word. It's a tragedy today that some people know more of a, of a lyric of a song than they know of the word of God. It's a tragedy that some people spend more time watching social media than they do engaging and understanding the word of God. God wants your soul to be saturated by the word of God. What can be more important in your life than what God says? What can be more important than what God spoke 2,000 years ago? In the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 12, verse 42, it says, The man of Nineveh was stand at the judgment with this generation and condemned it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, but now one greater than Jonah has come. The Bible says that the queen of Sheba will come and rise and condemn this generation because she came from the far east to hear the wisdom of Solomon, but now one that is greater than Solomon has appeared. What will you do with the words of God? Last point, will you come to be healed by him? The Bible says, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. See, they did not only come to hear him, they had the expectation that he was going to do something, that they were going to be healed by him. And that's something to say about, Jesus, about this crowd because oftentimes we come to church they hear him, but we don't have any expectation that God is going to do something in our life. And child of God, you have to come with the expectation that God is going to do exceedingly abundantly more than you can ever ask, think, or imagine. You have to come with the expectation that I'm coming to hear the word of God, but I'm a believer that God is going to cure me from my addiction, that God is going to cure me from my loneliness, that God is going to cure me from my depression, that God is going to heal my marriage. You got to believe that God is going to do what he said you're going to do. 
It makes me think about the woman who had the issue of the blood. Blood. If you look at the scripture that these people came, they were seeking out Jesus. Think about the many of people that could have been healed, but they didn't show up to be healed because they didn't hear the message of God. Think about the many people that could have been free from their addiction, but they didn't come to Jesus to be whole. And if you look in the scripture in the Bible about the woman with the issue of the blood, the Bible says that she had an issue of blood for years and that she came and she said, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, if I could just touch the thread of his garment. And the Bible says that she touched him and Jesus said, whoa, somebody, something might touch me. And his disciples says, what do you mean people are touching you? Everyone's touching you everywhere. And Jesus said, no, this touch is different because I felt power come from him. And he marveled at his faith. And child of God, if you want to be made whole by Jesus, you got to put yourself in the position to come to him to be healed. So the Bible says, the, the first point was, will you come to him? Jesus has extended the invitation. Will you come to him? The second point is, will you come to hear him? Will you hear God's word? Will you come to hear him? That's something that you must ask yourself. The third point is, will you become to be healed by him? As I close, throughout the gospel, Jesus will continue to be a problem for many who hated him. The gospel shows us that he would eventually be arrested by the Jews that wanted to get rid of him. If you look at the scripture in Matthew chapter 27, it says that the Pharisees plotted to kill Jesus and execute him. And they took Jesus before Pontius Pilate. In Matthew chapter 27, it says that, it says that Jesus was bound and he stands before Pontius Pilate. And even Pilate had to answer this question what would we do with Jesus? And Pilate looked upon Jesus because he, Jesus was a lamb that did not open his mouth. But Pilate said one thing that made Jesus to speak. He said, do you not know that I have the power, the, the power to kill you, the power to crucify you? And Jesus says, listen, you will have no power over me if it wasn't given to you from him above. And the Pilate looked in amazement, but the scripture says in Matthew chapter 27, Pilate asked this question to the crowd. What? Shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ, the Messiah? Uh, Pilate asked this question, and the crowd said, crucify him. Then Pilate said, what crime has he committed? And they said all the louder, crucify him. Uh, they, you know the story. They took him to a cross where they nailed him, crucified him, pierced him to get rid of him. The act says they killed the author of life, but it was God's plan to use what was meant to destroy him, to bring ultimate healing to his creation. It was God's plan. To, to, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes, we are healed. They put him in a tomb at the crucifixion. All day Friday, he laid dead in the tomb. All day Saturday, he laid dead in the tomb. It looked like death defeated life. It looked like evil defeated good. It looked like hate defeated love. They will soon find out, though, that you can ignore him. You can deny him. You can mock him. You can laugh at him. 
You can reject him. You can be skeptical about him. You can hate him. You can disregard him. You can even crucify him. But there's one thing that you can't do with Jesus. You can't get rid of him. You can't defeat him. Because early on Sunday morning, he got up with all power in his hand. All power in his hand. Giving ultimate acceptance before God, giving and providing ultimate healing for those who receive his invitation. He provided ultimate, he provided ultimate healing. I'm done, but I want to leave you with this thought. The poet Albert Simpson wrote, what will you do with Jesus? Neutral, you cannot be. Someday your heart will be asking, what will he do with me? What will he do with me? Someday, someday, my brothers and sisters, we will all stand before God. One day you will stand because the Bible says it is appointed for man to die, but after this is the judgment. One day you will stand before the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and heaven and hell will be in front of you. And your whole eternity will be based upon this question, what will you do with Jesus? And in your heart, you ask, what will he do with me? We must all stand before God one day. It's important for you to accept him, to love him, to cherish him, to serve him, to submit to him, because one day you will stand before him. Now's the time to come to Jesus. Now's the time to receive healing and restoration and peace. You can't defeat him, so you might as well join him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, that they may hear your words today, Father, and their hearts may be moved, and that they may come to you, Father. Come to you, the author of life, the one who came down 2,000 years ago to give his life for us, Father. I pray, Lord, that they may come to receive healing and restoration and to cherish your word, Father. Father, you are lowly and meek, and you will provide rest for their souls. As all this in Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We pray this message has impacted you in a meaningful way. If you want to know more about how Jesus can change your life, we would love to connect with you further. Send an email to hello at refreshcommunity.church or come visit us at 829 North Hanley Road in University City, Missouri. Be sure to subscribe and share the podcast with your friends. Thanks for listening and see you next time.